Hello everyone, I am Anubhi Pujjati. Uh, I am a PhD candidate at the Department of Political Science, University of Hyderabad. I am working on India and Japan bilateral relations and neoclassical realism. And also I am currently working as a research associate at Council for Social Development and ICSR Institute in Hyderabad. Hi there, I am glad to join this discussion for the Indo-Pacific Circle with Anubhip. Uh, my name is Abhivardhan. I am the chairperson and managing trustee of the Indian Society of Artificial Intelligence and Law and the founder of LICTA under Indic Pacific Legal Research. Uh, so in this discussion, we will be pondering upon some basic perspectives related to technology policy when it comes to digital transformation altogether in the context of foreign policy dynamics across countries, especially in the Indo-Pacific. You are listening to Indo-Pacific Voices podcast for regional perspectives on a wide range of topics with one mission to explore the emergent issues facing the Indo-Pacific. So the, basically the emergence of uh, new technologies has greatly accelerated the process of dynamic change within the global system. The multifaceted effects of technology uh, have an impact on the topic of international relations as well as their goals and operational horizon. Technology advancement encourages change in the structure of the international environment, changes the relationships between major players in international relations, and increases the scope and efficacy of transnational action. Especially in international relations security, the current state of technology development presents difficulty without taking into account high-tech development in conventional weapons such as hypersonic missiles. We observe the rise and proliferation of emerging technologies with the potential to revolutionize the world of economy, politics, culture, and even rule. Several broad high-tech fields are among the most well-known today, including artificial intelligence and its group of related digital technologies, including Internet of Things and big data, blockchain, quantum computing, advanced robotics, etc., which have... Uh, impact on social networks and the new wave of biotech and genetic engineering and many others. The modern technological revolution is concentrated on increasing the development of communication tools and information gathering, processing and storage technologies, especially increasing globalization of infrastructure is built on the information revolution, which affects the dynamics of the processes that change the fundamental elements of global environment. But the major problem is that the majority of science and technological advancements still come from a very small number of advanced nations, despite expanding research, development and innovation capabilities and high-tech sectors in emerging and other developing nations, except for China, for example. Other countries primarily play the role of technological acceptors. In this context, Abhivardhan, I would like to ask you, why is digital transformation necessary So when we look at the role of technology, most people assume it's about telecommunications and space technology and digital communications or, you know, ICTs, because this was decided in the 2005 Tunis Agenda as per the World Summit on Information Society. But technology by its terminology starts from, you know, the chariot, wheel, you know, fire and rock. It could be also termed as technology, right? Even a small pen is technology. What does it mean in a larger perspective is that technology is something which mobilizes humans at that fundamental level. It also, you know, uh, you, you know, because in the traditional times, you know, the Napoleonic era and all those uh, times in the 1800s, it used to drive the economics of war. Albert Einstein wrote a letter 
to Roosevelt and Oppenheimer created the atomic bomb, right? That drove a new economics of nuclear war or, you know, the, the nuclear arms race between the Soviet Union, the US, India, Pakistan, and so many countries. So technology definitely drives the economics of war, the, the economics pertaining to conflict and development. Now what has happened is that in the post-WTO era, after the European rounds, uh, countries have started to focus on development economics, which is to say that, you know, we have BRICS, we have the Quad, uh, India, China, Singapore, even the Americans, for example, the United States, Canada, and UK, they've actually fostered on development initiatives. So what happens is that when the world becomes much interconnected thanks to the internet and the proliferation of digital technologies, it actually affects global politics because if you look at, for example, the emergence of a company by name of Spotify, it actually emerged in West Germany, actually to be very fair, in West and East Germany. And then it got backing from the Americans and then it become a, became a huge enterprise. And there are so many examples across the globe. We have Jack Ma, we have Elon Musk, we have Zoho from Sridhar Bimbu, you know, Zomato and even both. So what we see with digital transformation is that these stakeholders use technology to mobilize our lives and affect the development economics of various countries. But from a hard power perspective also, you know, we have drones, we have, you know, uh, artificial intelligence based weapons. And even we have, you know, illegal transactions which are done by so-called non-state actors through blockchain. So even there, the proliferation of digital trans- digital technology has caused so much, so many issues. So definitely it affects global politics because earlier technology was considered to be something like a specific thing. But now what has happened is that it's like every company has become a technology company and every foreign policy will have technology as a core aspect of its discourse and implementation. So it's become the new normal already since 2015, because obviously, you know, when the net neutrality debate started in America, but it has now become mainstream because of obviously the pandemic, you know, country uh, blocks like the Quad and others taking up some stance and doing something. We should, you know, we should understand that technology has become a deep part of global politics because earlier the discourses were limited to defense tech, industrial tech, those kind of things. Now it's Beyond that, now it includes digital tech so deeply. In that case, how should the Indo-Pacific outlook on digital transformation per se be different considering the global experiences uh, with respect to China or the Atlantic or even the Europe? So when we look at the post-Cold War era, um, it's very interesting to look at the US-China relations, the US-Europe relations. That actually gives us a lot of insights about how digital transformation has become a part of this global discourse. Now, the Indo-Pacific is accessor to the Asia-Pacific construct in many ways. While the Asia-Pacific construct exists in parallel, the Indo-Pacific construct is much more pragmatic, helpful, and it definitely includes, you know, as CSDR defines, BBIN countries, which is, you know, Bhutan, Bangladesh, India, Nepal, into the fold of Asia largely. And obviously, India and the ASEAN member states are the main stakeholders, followed by others, but they have equitable representation for sure. When we look at the Atlantic discourse on foreign policy and technology, it was much about the dominance of multinational companies and certain sophisticated approaches of, you know, implementing policy decisions. I'll give you a simple example. So free speech is protected in the United States under the First Amendment, right? Absolute free speech, you can't affect it. But if you see where the headquarters of various big tech companies and multinational companies are located, 
they are actually located in ireland dublin for example linkedin for example youtube they are america based but they have to adhere with the laws of the european union and that's there's a brilliant book by anu bradford by the name of the brussels effect which was published by the oxford university press in 2020 i i suggest people must read it it explains how on geolocation data protection the use of uh, digital products the european union has tried to you know impose its own regulatory understandings even outside its jurisdiction simply because the companies have been in the Euro- european union which is why the gdpr the general data protection regulation became so relevant across the world there were some legal issues between israel and the eu there were some legal dilemmas between india and the european union but they were actually resolved with time so i really think that the data protection bill that actually would have kind of a gdpr effect across the indo pacific because you know india is a leader of the global south for example and you know india could really be a great driver along with japan singapore asian countries to help west you know west african south african and other african countries for example and obviously cooperation between indo pacific and west asian countries also is something we can look forward to that's where i think the perspective changes because the chinese perspective the european perspective was it was sophisticated maximalist and very different uh, that was the old consensus now the brussels effect doesn't need to be implemented that way in asia because it doesn't work that way very honestly speaking so in that case i think india singapore japan all these indo pacific countries will lead in technology leadership in some of the most interesting ways because mostly the indo pacific is covered by asia we have to consider that construct right so uh, you spoke about dominance of multinational companies their geolocation the data production and most importantly the imposition of europe's interest so but but also there is a role of big tech companies in shaping the foreign policy as well so in this context how do you look at the role of uh, big tech companies in shaping digital technology oriented foreign policy decisions especially in the indo pacific see with big technology firms um, there are multiple jurisdiction issues because for example uh, it used to be the case when india brought its social media ethics code in 2021 and the problem in that this is something even singapore is concerned about it's not just india but also singapore and even uk is concerned about now with india what happened was twitter communications india is the indian branch of twitter incorporated which is in san francisco the issue with twitter was twitter communications india had no local standby in terms of making its own decisions in india and all the decisions were made by twitter main headquarters the main hq the issue was that when you are making such decisions and when you are implementing them you have to respect indian laws and that applies to singapore and japan as well you have to respect their systems their constitutions and their understanding of the law the big tech companies have to adhere the national laws of various countries i guess india will play a very interesting role to steer the indo pacific countries because if you look at the quad technology principles which were agreed to in 2021 before the critical technologies principles came in uh, the quad countries including the united states agree that the internet must be safe and companies have to understand the ethical standards regarding the regulation of digital products including artificial intelligence i think so uh, this this is this is important you know uh, especially for big tech companies to adhere to the national laws and especially because there is a rising debate uh, when europe came out with own distinctive strategic outlook to the indo pacific whereas it wherein it supported more open and free flow of information whereas 
few nations in the Indo-Pacific wanted to you know, have uh, digital sovereignty where they want to protect it protect their data as well. So in this context, yes, national laws plays an important role. So let us uh, go back and also talk about you know, a briefly of tech and foreign policy in the context of AI and Web3. So could you please you know, uh, dwell on, on the technology and foreign policy in the context of data, artificial intelligence and Web3, and if possible, on the digital public infrastructure as well? So when we look at data, there are two kinds of data. Personal data, non-personal data. That's the best classification one can make. And then there is another classification, which is public data, private data. Now that could be sub-classifications within personal data and non-personal data. Because what personal data could be private and public, obviously is a classification and so forth for non-personal data. Now for non-personal data, we already have a framework. The draft framework was already introduced by the government of India. And even in the case of Singapore and Japan, we have these frameworks. So what happens is that in the context of foreign policy, the transboundary flow of data is obviously a concern. And that's what I was trying to tell in the initial part of this discussion, that the European Union and India had issues when it comes to the implementation of transboundary flow of data and, you know, data interconnectivity as to, you know, if data of EU citizens is taken up by Indian companies, then how would they adhere with the GDPR and the Digital Markets Act? definitely has globalized the way we consider data issues but there is definitely a sense of vulnerability because data is the easiest to be commoditized to be exploited and to be misused and companies from the mncs to even msmes have across the world not just in asia not just in europe even across the world even in china failed to adhere with proper standards on this because the problem is they come up with technical standards and solutions but uh, even if there is a global consensus, the market forces do not allow them to act in a proper fashion, which is why on data-related issues with related, for example, with Amazon India, India had to take action against Amazon through the Competition Commission of India, that is CCI, uh, you know, on, on the grounds of competition law, while it was a data prediction issue with Amazon, right? And I can tell you so many examples, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, you know, the whole legal and security risks which are attached with TikTok, which is obviously led by ByteDance, a company, which is China-based and China-connected. When it comes to artificial intelligence, we already have seen the Artificial Intelligence Act. It's a huge text, comprehensive work by the European Parliament, and it's respectable because it's one of the most global works ever produced after the UNESCO recommendation on ethics of AI. When it comes to the Indo-Pacific, I think we are seeing the rise of new startups and new uh, you know, inventive approaches to artificial intelligence, which will change various software as service and other kinds of digital subsectors, which definitely will drive the Asian economies. I think the proliferation of AI and Web3 stakeholders as companies, they will actually steer the market forces when it comes to the development economics as to how AI is included in development, how AI will affect consumers. How is AI included in public infrastructure? Um, because AI is not just about chat GPT or generative AI. We already use AI in our credit card transactions. AI is already being used in hospitals. AI is already being used in the minuscule forms possible we never even expected. For example, in finance sector, uh, PwC India had a fantastic report stating that the Indian financial sector, financial sector and even in asset management, Automated intelligence has already been used and it's been six to seven years since they have been incorporated and even more, it could be more 
considering india's it sector per se the integration has already happened it's just that we have started realizing it now and i think it's imperative to see how that goes ahead with with digital public infrastructure as we look at india's g20 presidency very ambitious presidency uh, it's definitely the leader in dpi i mean aadhar cbdc's uh, india stack overall you name it right india definitely is that particular player because uh, leadership will definitely guide countries in the global south because they are sustainable open source solutions and uh, they are very much technology rooted because the government has the agenda what we call as data for development and that's something which will inspire indo pacific countries in the future because you know that's what something which for example cambodia could do or uh, vietnam could do right so i think that's exactly where indo pacific countries can use dpi from the india model to learn a lot and i think a lot could be achieved for african countries in west asian countries thank you abhivardhan i think uh, covered so much uh, starting from the intersection of emerging technologies and global politics to why is di- digital transformation is necessary you know to understand foreign policy and within the context of indo pacific outlook and also the role of big tech companies and your ideas on uh, digital technology oriented foreign policy or especially the emerging digital public infra- infrastructure this has- it was a pleasure to have this discussion and that these discourses will help members like us in the indo pacific circle to further more informed understandings on technology policy overall and i think it's a bright future for the indo pacific it's just starting and i think it will take decades or so maybe not more than 10 years but you know i think it's a great journey ahead on technology policy for indo pacific countries Thank you for tuning in. Rate this conversation on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. To stay updated, visit our website ipcircle.org and follow us on Twitter at ip_circle. The opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the speakers and do not represent the organizational views held by either the Council for Strategic and Defense Research or the Center for Policy Research.